0: Jacqueline and I'm Courtney and this is
1: caffeinated crimes welcome back we hope you guys are having a wonderful week we're doing another night recording so don't know why I always feel the need to tell you guys that but it just feels so different for us so maybe it seems different to you guys if it does let us know I don't know
0: yeah let us know for sure because like feels really different to us because like I'm sitting usually I'm like half awake like trying to chug my coffee (laughs) while Jacqueline's talking and now I have like my rum and coke next to me and it's like a very different like vibe over Mm -hmm. here (laughs) yes
1: it's it's a different uh, yeah just a different vibe just a different feeling all my animals are awake so hopefully they're not super loud in the background they are I apologize but
0: yeah my cats are awake my human is awake in there same he's watching playoff baseball so let's hope there's no yelling. <laughs> no I don't, guarantees. I
1: don't know what mine is doing. I know he tried to run into the kitchen really quick before we started recording, so hopefully he's got his <laughs> snackies and he's good to go for the rest of the recording. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Courtney and I were, as we told you guys last week, very over Ted Bundy. Um, and we each edited one episode, so we recorded them two days back to back, and then we had both episodes record- edited like... What, like 24, 48 hours later at the most?
0: Yeah, because I believe. Because we recorded part one on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I think you had it uploaded, was it Sunday night? I think so, yeah. And then we recorded part two Sunday, and I had it done by Monday night. Yeah. We were both like, nope. We're, we're like, done. I'm done
1: with Ted. <laughs> I don't want to listen to him and his
0: shenanigans anymore. Let's just get him out of the way. So. Yeah, I just, and those were like pretty long episodes too, so the yeah. fact that we just like were like, yeah, I sat down and I was like, I'm editing this and I am not stopping until I'm done, basically. Yes.
1: I haven't even edited the bonus episode that we recorded two weeks ago yet, so I'm gonna do that <laughs> this weekend along with today's episode, but I was just ready to get Ted done,
0: so that's... Yeah, we had we had a lot, a little bit of catching up to do like a few like episodes, some bonuses, some part twos, some... Some Q and As we had a lot going on, but yes. we got it done. Um, Even if our Q and A was a little, little wonky, but <laughs> but it's hey, it's, it's there. It's uploaded. It's we're back on our regular
1: schedule, so smooth sailing from here on out, right? Yes, Maybe. Um. we'll see. I don't know. That's what we say, but you know. Um, today's episode will be a little bit shorter than normal because this is another one where unfortunately there's not a whole lot of information out there. Um, it is an unsolved case, so it's super important that we tell this story and we make sure her story is heard. So that's why today's episode will be a little bit shorter than our episodes normally are.
0: Yeah, it's pretty similar to the Freeway Phantom one where it's a bit shorter, but we really felt it deserves, you know it's time as well, just cause it's not going to be a two part hour and a half each BTK or Ted Bundy doesn't mean it's not important. Um, yes. Uh, and also we don't intend to do this, but we also picked two cases before and after Ted Bundy that both the murder squad had done and neither of us <laughs> remembered it until we were looking stuff up. <laughs> yes. So, so I remember freeway phantom, she was like, Oh, Hey, murder squad did this. We're like, cool. And then I was looking when I was doing that research, I was like, oh my gosh, like they did the person that we're doing today. <laughs>
1: like, Yeah. So very crazy that it was unintentional, literally back to back that yeah. we had two cases that they had done. But also I feel like that points to why important it is for multiple podcasts, documentaries, whatever, to cover the same stories, because Courtney and I have listened to both of their episodes, but you listen to so much that you forget about them, you know? So, yeah. And I know, When I listen to other true crime podcasts, if an episode comes up that's a case that I'm familiar with, I'll still listen to whatever that podcast version of it is because I feel like everyone has a different spin or different information that they can provide. So I think that kind of points to the importance of multiple groups covering these cases because there are so many that they just kind of fade in your memory over time, unfortunately, which is just so sad. Yeah.
0: Like, I knew a girl who, like, she was, like, a one and done. Like, if she listened to, like, anything, watched anything, like, she wouldn't really, like, if, you know, Crime Junkie or whoever, like, released an Mm -hmm. episode. And she was like, I've already heard that. It's like, I am like, oh, I listened to this episode. Let me listen to every episode I can find just to see. Because, again, like, people focus on different things. You know, like, we might talk or focus on something that the Murder Squad didn't or the murder squad mm-hmm. might go way more into detail about stuff that they know rather than us. Like everyone has a different take, and it's so important to just get the information. And maybe when you're listening, something will spark that hadn't before that you're like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe I was around this area that time and I do remember something. You never know. Yeah, yes, absolutely. So today we are covering the story of Faith Hedgepeth. So, a few of the articles that we used today was an NBC News article, um, a K-News article, and as well as the Murder Squad podcast uh, by Billy Jensen and Paul Holes. Um, they had a girl, Kelly, from Crime Watch Daily, and they had worked like with investigators, with the family, very close in contact. So, they have a lot of information um, with that as well, and that's where we got a lot of this too. So... On September 7, 2012, the body of 20-year-old University of North Carolina Chapel Hill student Faith Hedgepeth was found in her bedroom by her roommate. She'd been beaten to death with a bottle of rum. A cryptic note was left near her body, and a voicemail recovered from an accidental phone call may reveal the last moments of Faith's life. However, Faith's murder has never been solved. So, Faith Hedgepeth was born to... Roland and Connie Hedgepeth on September 26, 1992 in Warren County, North Carolina. She was a member of the Hollowa Saponi tribe. Her older sister was 18 when she was born. So she kind of served as a second mother to Faith. Faith was an honor student in high school and she was also a cheerleader and a part of several clubs. I think I remember her mom being like, I didn't realize like how many things she did until like after yes. she died of just like, She was just a part of so many things.
1: Yes, just like very, very social and just into so many different
0: extracurriculars. She received the prestigious Gates Millennium Scholarship to attend the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Uh, She wanted to be a pediatrician and practice in her tribal community. She was a very social person with a large group of friends and she had planned to join UNC's chapter of the Native American Alpha Pi Omega. During the fall semester of 2012, Faith was waiting for her financial aid to kick in and she was sharing a one-bedroom apartment with her best friend Karina Rosario until she was able to move into her own apartment. So on September 6, 2012, Faith went to her classes during the day and then she went to the library at 7 30 p.m. with her roommate Karina So then they decided later to go to the local club, The Thrill, at 1 a.m. to meet up with some friends and dance. So while at the club, Karina says she doesn't feel well and Faith drives them home around 2.30 a.m. and they go to bed. At 3.40 a.m., Faith texted Karina's ex-boyfriend, Brandon Edwards, and said, hey, B, can you come over here, please? Karina needs you more than AHA, like A-H-A, A-H-A. You know, please let her know you care. Three minutes, three minutes later, she sent a text that said Van, probably correcting her typo. Mm-hmm. At 4.30 a.m., Karina was picked up by two friends, Jordan and Jacob, and left the apartment. Faith was asleep, and Karina left the apartment unlocked. Phone records confirmed that Jordan and Jacob were outside the apartment at 4.30. Later that morning, Karina's friend Marisol picked her up at Jordan and Jacob's and took her home to pick her books up for school. She arrived home around 10 to 11 a.m. and Karina found Faith face up on the bed, nude from the waist down with her skirt, her shirt pulled up. Um, and she had a pool of blood around her head and blood spatter on the door. So, Karina does call 911 around 11 a.m. And just so you know, we are going to go ahead and play that 911 call. If this is something you're uncomfortable with, you might want to skip ahead a little bit, but we are going to play it here.
2: Ndara 911, where is your emergency?
3: I, um, I just walked into my apartment and my friend was just, like,
2: turned unconscious. Okay, what's your address, ma'am?
3: I live at Hawking at the view. Um, um... Give me,
2: give me the address.
3: I just, I just moved here, I'm about to get it. Oh my god. It's, um, 5639 Old Chapel Hill Road in Durham.
2: Okay. Repeat it, repeat it to me, so repeat it to me, so I make sure I've got it correct.
3: Okay. Five six three nine Old Capitol Hill Road. It's apartment sixteen oh two. Sixteen oh two. Yes. Okay.
2: What's the phone number you're calling from? Two
3: zero one three two one eight zero seven five.
2: Okay. You say your friend is unconscious. He's unconscious. I just walked in the apartment and there looks like there's blood everywhere. Okay, listen to me. Okay, listen to me. Listen to me. Somebody's already yeah. sending me ambulance. Okay, I need to get some information from you, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna help. I'm gonna tell you how to help her. Okay. 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 How, how old is your? How old is she? He's 19. Okay. I don't know. I don't okay. want to touch
3: her, but.
2: Listen to me. Is is she breathing?
3: I don't know. You
2: need to check and see. Is she breathing?
3: Kate, I don't think so. I don't think so.
2: Okay, listen to me.
3: There's blood everywhere. There's what? There's blood everywhere.
2: Okay. I don't know
3: what happened.
2: Okay, is she on her back or is she on her... Laying on her stomach.
3: She's on, she's on the back, but, like, she, I think she fell off the bed because she's, like, off the bed. They blood all over the pillows, like, in the comfort And it's I just don't know
2: what happened. Okay. <laughs> all right, listen to me, all right?
3: Is someone coming. Yes,
2: I've got somebody coming. I've got somebody coming. I need for you to help her. I need for you to go up to her. We need to see if she's breathing or not. Okay? Okay. Listen to me. Go up. The paramedics are on their way. I want you to stay on the line. I'm going to tell you what to do next, all right? Are you right by her now?
3: Yes.
2: Okay. Listen carefully.
3: Listen. She's not
2: moving. Okay. Can Will you touch her arm? Tell me, does she, how does she feel? She's
3: not moving.
2: Okay, ma'am, we need to find out if we can help her or not. You've got to, you know, do as I'm asking so we can help her. All right? Okay. okay. if you can, lay her flat on her back. Rem- remove any pillow.
3: Lay her flat on her back?
2: Flat on her back. Remove any pillows. Okay. Okay. Kneel next to her, look in her mouth for food or vomit. Okay. Kneel next to her, look in her mouth for food or vomit. Tell me something. Listen to me. Listen to me. what is your name?
3: I'm sorry, I'm really It's okay, honey. It's okay, honey. Listen to me. Okay,
2: all right, all right, all right. Listen to me. When you touched her, how does she feel? Does she feel warm? No, she feels cold. She feels cold. Okay. Okay. All right. Don't touch anything else. So
0: as you can hear in this call, Karina is just like crying hysterically, and she's saying her friend's unconscious and there's just so much blood. She doesn't know what happened. Um, and then, you know, the dispatcher keeps asking if she's breathing and Karina says she doesn't think so. Um, and the dispatcher does ask her to touch her arm. You know, is it warm? Is it cold? And Karina does say cold. And the dispatcher very smartly says, leave the room and don't touch anything else. She was like, this is probably a crime scene. We need to preserve it. So I know on the
1: Murder Squad's episode, Paul Holes seemed suspicious of the 911 call. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on Karina's um,
0: demeanor? Yeah, and I could definitely, because when I was listening, I kind of felt the same way where I was like, and again, I don't know. Like, if I walked in and saw you, like, murdered, I don't know how I would react. I'd probably be hysterically crying and couldn't mm-hmm. do. But the way she responds, it does sound very, like, like, the dispatcher keeps talking to her, and she's just like, there's so much blood, and just keeps crying. And, like, a lot of times you're like, okay, well, you need to help, like, you're wanting to mm-hmm. help your friend, too, because you're probably hoping, like, there's still a chance you could save her. So, by kind of, you know, avoiding questions or whatever, it's
1: kind of weird. Because she keeps asking her, you know, is she still breathing? Is she still breathing? And she's like, I don't know. It's like, well, are you not getting close enough to her to see if she's breathing? Um, That was kind of odd to me. But, again, I have a really difficult time with... Podcasters, documentary, whoever, people that like super analyze 911 calls because I just feel like it's not the best thing to go off of. Like, I think it's interesting to talk about in terms of, you know, how other people hear it and what that could possibly mean. But I know a lot of people like put a lot of weight into how you react on a 911 call. But I'm just like, again, I don't know how I would react in that situation. And I would hope that. If I were ever in that situation, someone wouldn't analyze every single, like, word that I said or breath that I took or word choice or whatever to then go on to say that I had something to do with it, you know? Yeah,
0: because everyone reacts differently, you know? Some people, they can, like, just have the adrenaline going and jump in and do whatever they need to do. But some people, I mean, you can just go into shock and, like, freeze and you're just like, I don't know what to do, you know? Um, And I think a lot of times, too, with 911 calls, when they overanalyze, there's something suspicious the person does later on, too. So then you're, like, yes, it's, like, you're not taking the 911 call, like, by itself. You're, like, over, Mm -hmm. like, you're analyzing it based on what you think this person did, too. So it's pretty, like, it's, you can't, you can't go off of it. But it is a bit of a weird 911 call. Yes. So, Marisol would tell Faith's family that they arrived at the apartment at 10 a.m. Marisol is not mentioned on the 911 call, and she cannot be heard in the background. Uh, The 911 call was also not placed until 11 a.m., so if they were there for an hour, why did you wait an hour? And again, this is a one-bedroom apartment, so it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily like Faith had her own room and, like, you didn't go in there. It was kind of like, you know, it was more so Karina's apartment, so I think... I feel like if you had just come home from being out most of the night, you'd probably go straight to your bedroom.
1: Yes, and obviously, being a small one-bedroom apartment, like you said, it's not like, oh, she's in her room sleeping, whatever. Like, you're pretty immediately going to know. Yeah. Um, Also, I think it's really weird that Marisol is not mentioned in the 911 call or not heard. Um, Not that she would specifically say, like, my friend is here, but it's I, it's not we... You don't hear any background noise. You don't hear her like talking to her friend. I feel like in that situation, you would be like, "Oh, go look at her," or "Go feel." Like you would be yeah, conversing I'd be like, with
0: someone. Like I'm on the call. Okay, you go. Okay, she's asking. Is she cold? Can you touch her? Is she cold? Like I'm trying to do this. Trying. You yeah. know Like everyone just trying to help. And I feel like also, like I said before, like people have different reactions. Like Marisol and Faith, and Marisol and Karina might have two different reactions. So Marisol yeah. might be the step into action person. Like. Mm-hmm. I find it weird that both would be, like, freeze. Like.
1: And that Marisol would just be sitting in the background and say absolutely nothing and not have it. Like,
0: that seems weird, really odd to me. Yeah. And a neighbor reported also seeing Marisol and Karina coming down the stairs just after 11 a.m. Um, the neighbor said Karina was on her phone texting and she was not crying, which is very suspicious. If you're hysterically crying on a 911 call, that someone also sees you around the same time and you were dead face. Yeah, that is very odd. Another downstairs neighbor also reported hearing a loud thump around 3.45 a.m. that morning. So, when police arrived, they do find a note written on a fast food bag near Body that says, I'm not stupid, bitch. Jealous. So, handwriting experts who analyze this note do believe it was written by someone's non-dominant hand. It was, like, really shaky. It wasn't very good handwriting. Um, Mm -hmm. And many people believe this might point to the killer being a woman due to the catty nature of the note you know like I'm not jealous like bitch like that's more kind of like how women would talk to each other yeah I can't really imagine a man like seriously writing that yeah and Paul Holes really believes this could be the killer staging the crime scene and trying to throw the police off their tracks so you know this could just be something else and they're like let's try to point them somewhere else
1: Yeah, so if it was a man that's like, oh, she's a college age girl, like, maybe I can make it look like she got into a fight with one of her girlfriends. Like, did they get into a fight over a boy? You know, like, I can write this thing that seems like it might fit the situation to try to distract people from who I really am.
0: Yeah, and it brought up a lot of questions, you know. Was Faith fighting with someone over, like, a boy? You know, was the note directed at Faith, or was it directed to Karina? Like, who, you know... Karina, who would probably be finding our body, or, you know, Faith. Like, Paul Holes even said, like, it it might not have anything to do with this at all. Like, he was saying, like, what mm-hmm. if, you know, it's just like a joking note between friends? You know, like, I got the fast yeah. food place. Like, haha, are you jealous? Like, I'm not stupid. Like, mm-hmm. you, you never know. Like, and again, it could just be someone faking it to just make it seem like something else.
1: My thing, though, with it being something that's just, like, completely unrelated. Like, why would it be written in such bad handwriting that was clearly, like, intentional bad handwriting, yeah. you know? And and not to, like, stereotype, but usually college-age girls have very pretty handwritings. You yeah. Know? If it was just them writing a note to each other in the apartment, it's kind of odd handwriting. And I also feel like, I, I don't know this for sure, but I feel like police would have gotten handwriting samples from Karina, and then if it wasn't written from an opposite hand, they would have been able to tell, which that doesn't mean that there wasn't another friend in the apartment, but I don't know. It just seems like a very specific.
0: And hand, handwriting analysis is also not an exact science either. It's very up yes. to interpretation, which a lot of True. the evidence like in this case is up to interpretation, as you'll see as we go on. Mm-hmm. Um, the autopsy did determine the cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head from the broken rump bottle. There was semen at the crime scene and blood was found underneath Faith's Faith's fingernails. Um, Cuts and bruises were all on her arms and legs and it did indicate that she likely fought back. Um, The location of the semen has not been released, so they're not sure if it's from a consensual partner um, at any other time or, like, from her murderer. They're not really sure when this semen sample was deposited, so they can't really Mm -hmm. say for sure whose it belongs to. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's also unsure whether the rum bottle was already located in Faith's apartment or was brought into the apartment by the killer, which could also make a difference of, was this a planned murder? Was this, you know, they knew what they were doing when they went in, or was it like a heat of the moment, like, just grab whatever's Mm -hmm. nearest, slam it? They're not sure. Yep.
1: So, we mentioned at the beginning of the episode a voicemail that was left the night that Faith died. Um, So, on the night she died, she butt-dialed a friend and left the voicemail. So, it says it was left at 1.23 a.m., but the friend who received the voicemail reported that she had had issues with the timestamps on her calls, and they would sometimes show up as about two hours after they actually were, which would have been closer to 3.30 a.m. And the friend was asleep, so she just saw the call the next morning, so she couldn't really say what time she thought it was. It was just Uh what time it showed up on her phone because she was asleep. Um, so Faith and her friends would have been at the club if the voicemail was left at 1.30am, but would have been back home if it was left at 3.30am. So that's one tricky aspect of this case is not sure where this voicemail took place. So the next morning when her friend listened to the voicemail, she realized that Faith had just accidentally called her, so she deleted it. Um, And later that day, when her friend learned that Faith had been murdered the night before, she contacted her cell phone carrier to have the message retrieved and then she gave it to the police. So the police listened to it, and they're like, okay, this is just a butt dial, this is just a random voicemail. They didn't hear anything significant on the message, and so they didn't do anything with it. Um, So before, we mentioned Kelly with Crime Watch Daily. Um, So she was independently investigating this murder, and she had the audio sent to forensic audio expert Arlo West to see if he could clean up the audio and determine what was being said in the message. So we're going to go ahead and play that raw recording for you guys so you can hear it for yourself.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God.
1: So, I personally cannot hear anything in that voicemail. I can't hear... I know some people who listen to it raw without any editing were able to hear a few words. I cannot pick out anything. because you? No,
0: not really. I didn't listen to it, like, over and over again. But when I heard mm-hmm. it, it was very muffled, very... I couldn't really... There was so much, like, background... Not. I guess, I don't know if it was background noise, but so much, like, noise going on, I couldn't necessarily yeah. make anything out.
1: Yeah. Um, so Arlo West, who was able to, I don't know what kind of equipment he has, but I guess he was in some way able to enhance the sound. And so he was able to come up with a rough transcript of what he believed was being said. Um, so we do want to preface this with audio interpretations are very subjective, especially if you know what you are supposed to be listening to, which Kelly said that she did not provide him any information about the case, but, I mean, he may have been able to look it up pretty easily. You know, he also knows what she does for a living, so I'm sure he has some sort of idea of what the voicemail, why the voicemail is significant. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. not like it's like, oh, could you hear, like, this type of bird? Or, that? like, it's, you kind of know what you're listening for. Um, so we just want to preface it with that, that this is, Obviously, it was able to be enhanced with his equipment, so it is better than what we just heard, but also it is left up to individual interpretation.
0: Yeah, because from what I understand, he had all this equipment, and he could, like, take out that background noise and just hear voices. But, yeah, especially if it is, like, a a butt dial, like, it's not going to be clear as, like, being on the phone.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But what he was able to hear was two female voices... And one or possibly two male voices. And when Faith's family listened to this recording later, they positively identified Faith's voice. Um, so we're not going to read an exact transcript, we're just going to include some of the highlights of what he heard. Um, so we heard a female saying, Do you want to mess with my boyfriend? Then they hear Faith calling someone Rosie. So her friend Karina Rosario was often called Rosie. And I know some people who've listened to this tape, like I went down a rabbit. Uh, I went down a Reddit rabbit hole on this one. Um, some people who listened to it straight also heard Rosie, so I don't know. Um, the female voice says, fuck you, I'm pissed, I'm gonna kick your face, bitch. Face says, ow, and the other girl mocks her. The female says, he's gonna fuck you, I will fuck you, bitch. Face screams and says, let me go. Face says, help me, ow, my head. The female says, do it. The male says, I think she's dying. Faith says, I can't believe you really did it, Rosie. Um, Basically, there's just like a continued argument and distressed noises throughout the call. Um, And the names Rosie and Eric are both heard. And again, if this was really left at 1.30 a.m., it would have been while Faith was at the club. So this could have indicated an argument that started there and possibly carried over to her home. Um, And then if it was left closer to 3.30 a.m., which was possible with the friend's timestamps not working correctly, that could line up with the possible time of Faith's death um, as you remember, the neighbor heard a loud thump at 345 A.M.
0: I do also wonder, again, this is an open case, so it's not like all records are available. So there might be parts of the autopsy they are leaving back. Um mm-hmm. if she if Faith is saying ow my head, I'm wondering is there some you know, like was she hit at the club? Like would there be some sign of at least a little bit of healing injury in her brain, mm-hmm. or was it just that injury they could tell happened at the time of death you know was there one I mean because two hours I mean it's not going to be fully healed but it'll start to show some healing patterns you know yeah so I'm wondering if there was anything like that where they could maybe be like oh for sure then this probably happened Mm -hmm. you know because ow my head that's pretty specific you know with what's going on
1: and I feel like if she was saying, ow, my head, while she was being beaten with this rum bottle, I feel like those noises would be heard. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Especially with the audio equipment that he had available to make out this conversation. I feel like that would have been indicated if you could hear the sound of a bottle smashing her skull if she was saying, ow, my head, during that situation. Also, yeah. when you think about the club, I think about two females fighting, like, was well, she pulling her hair and she's saying, ow, my head, because she's like yanking her hair out, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Um, It is believed that the Eric heard in the voicemail is referring to Eric Takoy Jones, who is the only known suspect in this case. Um, He's never been arrested or anything, but he has been publicly identified as a suspect. Um, And he was an an abusive ex-boyfriend of Karina, and Faith had actually helped Karina get get a restraining order against him. And on September 9th, 2012, which was two days after Faith was murdered, a former roommate of Faith called the police and said that from May to July of 2012 that Eric was just very angry with Faith and he had actually said that he was going to kill her if Karina did not get back together with him. And on the day of Faith's murder, Eric posted on his Facebook page, "'Dear Lord, forgive me for all of my sins "'and the sins I may commit today. "'Protect me from the girls who don't deserve me "'and the ones who wish me dead today.'" Um, He also texted a friend that day and asked for forgiveness for what he was about to do. So that's very vague. That doesn't necessarily mean he had anything to do with it, but that's very weird. Mm -hmm. So it is a very weird and oddly specific thing that you would post on your Facebook page the day that your ex-girlfriend's best friend is murdered.
0: Yeah, it's pretty, pretty weird.
1: Um, And Eric did live in the same apartment complex as Faith and Karina, but he did cooperate with the police and he allowed them to search his apartment. And he also provided his DNA, which did not match the DNA found at the crime scene. Um, And they didn't find anything in his apartment that would lead to his arrest
0: either. I'm also thinking, I was just thinking this, like, while we were talking kind of about the voicemail and when it could have been left. And I'm wondering, too, if Rosie is Karina and they're fighting, how, and it it sounds like a very angry fight. Then if Faith drove them home, like, how did they resolve this fight? Because she also was texting the boyfriend and being like, hey, like, Karina's mm. not feeling well. Take care of her. So I'm like, that sounds like a pretty, like, serious fight if someone's saying, I think she's dying, <laughs> you know. Yeah. A pretty serious fight to be having and then immediately recover within an hour to drive her home. Mm-hmm. So I find that very weird if it was at the club. Yeah, that is very interesting. I understand, like, fighting with friends, but that seems pretty pretty harsh (laughs) to just recover from. I did also read during my Reddit
1: rabbit hole, which I've messed up that saying about four times now. Um, (laughs) But I did read in there that some people think that whoever murdered her, that maybe it wasn't Karina, but that Karina set her up because they maybe got into this fight at the club, and then, oh, she's not feeling well, so Faith takes her home, but then, and then two hours later at 4.30 in the morning, her friends pick her up, and she goes over to their house, and then comes back later to get her books, like, that's very weird, like, if you're not feeling well, and you go home, you're probably not going to leave your house an hour later, or two hours later, at 4.30 in the morning to go out with some friends, and also leave your apartment door unlocked while your roommate is sleeping.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That is very odd, too. You know, like, I'm so sick, I have to go home. So, was she just being like, no, we're fine, and then, like, planning this whole thing in her head? You know, like, I don't know. It's very it's very suspicious, and especially since she, like, comes home, and her other friend comes home with her, too. Like, mm-hmm. the, the guys don't drive her back to her apartment like another friend does. Like, which kind of meant, to me, be like oh, like, Marisol, come pick me up, and you're my alibi. Clearly, I was here, you know. Yeah. It's very weird. I don't, I'm not saying Karina did it. Little suspicious girl. You need to figure stuff out a little bit better.
1: (laughs) And because this is an open case, like Courtney mentioned before, we don't have all of the details from, like, the police investigation. So, like, the two men that she was with that night that picked her up. Like, we don't know what their interviews looked like. We know that they were That they were at the apartment because their cell phone records show that. But we don't know really any other details about what they were doing that night, you know?
0: Yeah, and they picked her up at, was it 4 a.m.? Yeah. And a downstairs neighbor heard something at 3.45, so if Karina did do something and she was like, Hey, friends, come pick me up because I just did something really bad. Yeah. (laughs) Like... Um, And now I need my alibi for the rest of the night, which is that my friends pick me up at 4
1: a.m. and then I come home at 10 a.m. to get my books for school. Which, I mean, I don't know. I also lived in a college dorm and college kids do weird things like that. So, not completely out of the norm for... I mean, yeah, true. So, four years after Faith's murder, the Chapel Hill Police had a company called Parabon use the DNA found at the crime scene to create a possible profile of what that person would look like based on their phenotype. Um, So this kind of uses the characteristics of the DNA to show, oh, well, this is the characteristics that this person has. This is maybe possibly what they kind of sort of look like. So it's not by any means um, a very accurate sketch or anything like that, but it's a general idea of who this profile belongs to. Um, And so what they found was that the profile shows the offender as a Latino male, and they are now running the DNA through familial DNA sites as well to try to find a match. Um, Faith's family did set up the Faith Hedgepeth Memorial Scholarship and they have given out 22 $1,000 scholarships to Native American women from North Carolina tribes to further their education since her death. Um, Her family is also offering a $40,000 reward for information that leads to the arrest of Faith's killer. Um, So if you have any information about this case, if you were in this area at that time, if you know someone that was in this area at that time. If you have any information, you can contact the Chapel Hill Police Department at 919-614-6363 or Chapel Hill Crime Stoppers at 919-942-7515. And like we said, it's been eight years since this murder and unfortunately there's nothing more publicly available
0: than what we just told you guys. Obviously, Faith's family is still just hurting from this, and all they want is just justice for their daughter. They just want someone to be held accountable for this. Um, And there's so many questions, like, I have. Like, you know, there was semen. Did they ever determine? Was it the offender? Was it, you know, a previous sample? Like, there's so many things about the case that we don't know because the police are probably holding it back because they don't want to be like, by the way, this is what happened, so now any person can just come and be like, yep, it was me. Like, mm-hmm. But it's just, there's a lot of questions, there's a lot of unanswered things, and it just really bothers me because she just deserves justice. Like, She did not deserve what happened to her. She was probably going to go on to do amazing things, and it's just horrible that someone took her life.
1: And it just seems so solvable. I mean, you have a college age girl who's murdered in this unlocked apartment with a rum bottle. It's like, this doesn't seem like it was this meticulously planned out crime. You know what I mean? It definitely seems more of a crime of passion, whether or not they brought the rum bottle or the rum bottle was already there. It's still that to me sounds like another college student or someone around your age. It doesn't sound like a a Ted Bundy who like planned his mm-hmm. crimes and knew what he was going to do and was able to cover his tracks. Like it just doesn't have that kind of feel to me. So it just seems like it should be so
0: easy to solve. And yet here we are eight years later and it's still unsolved. And there's such a small window too, you know, I mean, there's only like an hour, an hour and a half that yeah, it could have happened. And I don't know. It's just, yeah, it feels like it should be solved and I really do hope Someday soon, we'll be giving you an update that her killer's behind bars. So, But if you know anyone who lives in that area, if you know anything, please call those numbers. Please get it out there.
1: Yes. So, Courtney, what is your perk of the week?
0: Okay, my perk of the week is... So, we all know COVID ruined, like, everything, basically. (laughs) So, one of our favorite authors, Jodi Pico... um, Had a, like, virtual book tour instead of an in-person book tour. So Mm -hmm. me and Tiffany and Jacqueline all bought our tickets, like, immediately. And so we got to go and see her talk about the book. So she was interviewed by Taylor Jenkins Reid. She's the author of, like, Daisy Jones and the Six and Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, which I haven't read, but they've been on my list for a long time. But it was kind of a conversation between them, and then they had a few people come on, and ask questions and there was just like a chat board where everyone could hang out and me and Jacqueline and Tiffany had our group message going (laughs) on the side and it was just so Mm -hmm. fun to see her talk about it and I can't wait to read her book and it was just so fun and so exciting to get to do something even if it was virtual yes it was so cool yeah so Jacqueline what's your perk of the week I mean,
1: obviously that's also my perk of the week, because with COVID, there's not a whole lot of exciting things going on in our lives currently, so that was something fun and new and different that we got to do. Um, And also, so with the tickets, you got a signed copy of the book, and so they said it would come like seven to ten days after the event and mine arrived today, so I was super excited about that. So I will be starting that first thing in the morning because I was going to start it tonight, but it's like nine thirty now, and y'all know that's my bedtime, so not starting any to books <laughs> tonight. Um, but the three of us did also get to see Jody Pico four years ago. Was it four years?
0: It was, yeah. Because so it was four years before ago. I started dating Kevin.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, we saw her in Raleigh for her book, Small Great Things, and so we got to see her speak live, and we actually got to go up and talk to her, and take a picture with her, and Courtney told her that she seemed
0: like one of our best friends. (laughs) I said that she'd be best friends with us, and I stand by that statement. Yes.
1: (laughs) So we (laughs) joked that that was one thing that COVID did, was make sure that Courtney couldn't embarrass herself in front of Jordi Pico again, (laughs) so. (laughs) But yes, that was also my (laughs) perk of the week, and it was a wonderful time. Um... We have finally reached our 100 followers on Instagram, so as a time that you are hearing this, we will have already chosen our winner for our contest. Um, As we are recording this, we are doing that tomorrow. So, But you guys will have already seen it, but there's still another chance to win. You can go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because once we reach 50 of those, we will do another drawing for a Caffeinated Crime sticker and a pin and a $10 gift card to a coffee shop of your choice. Um, But please still come follow us on Instagram because we still have fun things happening over there. And that's at Caffeinated Crimes Pod. You can find us on Facebook at Caffeinated Crimes Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Caff Crimes Pod. That's C-A-F-F Crimes Pod. You can email us
0: at Caffeinated Crimes Pod at Gmail. And if you feel so inclined, you can come over, give us some money, get some extra bonus content. And that's at patreon.com slash caffeinatedcrimes. Um, But, yeah, follow us and like us on all those places. You never know. Maybe we'll feel generous and do another contest someday. You don't know. Maybe. Keep out. We try to be funny. We try to post memes on Fridays. We try to um, reply to you and, I don't know, be funny. Tell us how to be funny. I don't know. (laughs) I'm trying, (laughs) y'all. But... Um so go ahead and tell us how to be funny and go have a cup of coffee and don't commit a crime.